From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Unconquered with Doc Staples. We're talking Florida State 31, Boston College 29. This is the Hot Takes Edition, where we're just going to talk off the cuff, a little bit less uh, detailed analysis of this one than uh, when I come back and take a a little bit closer look after taking a closer look at the actual, uh, after going through the replays, let's just put it that way. And um, yeah, there's a lot of hot takes that you could have about this one because Florida State came very, very close to losing a game that they really had no business losing because in all honesty, that's not a very good Boston College team. But before I get any further, I want to thank my sponsors. First of all, EPR Creations, bringing you the best of internet marketing and website development for an affordable price. Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle area of North Carolina. And Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling in, uh, company in South Florida. And we're going to have another one here coming up uh, here very shortly. should also mention, uh, for those of you interested in music, who you know might be interested in quality guitars and uh, vocals and very well-written music, Download and check out my sister's latest album. That's Stephanie Staples. The Streams album is pretty dang good, if I do say so myself. And actually, the one before that, also really, really good. That was from about a year ago. Uh, Last few albums for her have been outstanding, but these two have taken it to another level. Give her a listen. And uh, if you've been enjoying this podcast also, tell a friend and, and rate and review the podcast on Apple Music or Spotify or wherever you consume the material. So let's go ahead and get to it. So first things first, Florida State didn't they came out and were not as prepared as what you'd like to see in that first quarter. And you know, it's it's not all that surprising. I mean, one of the th- in the caption for my last uh for the la- last episode uh where we previewed this game, we I mentioned like, look, you know, some funny stuff has happened up in Boston over the years, so you, you kind of have to be prepared. And the other thing that you, you got to remember in this is that this was a nooner and there was a lot of wind. So a lot of, you know, little reasons why you could kind of expect a slow start there. Noon game on the road against a team that's, you know, playing the red bandana game, all of that stuff. So the slow start really honestly didn't surprise me all that much. I kind of, kind of was expecting that they'd, Boston College would come out you know, come out hot. They're going to prepare for this game. This is a kitchen sink game for them, a chance to get a, a real quality win for, for a coaching staff that's trying to hang on. You, you, you kind of have to weather the storm in these games. And then, you know, Florida State did what you expect. So you look at that first quarter, you finish down 7-3. to three. Second quarter, Florida State wins that quarter 14-3, to three, goes in 17-10 to 10 at the half, comes out in the third quarter, Scores 14 points right there. All of a sudden, it's 31 to 10, and that ball game was over. It felt like it was over right there. And they had an opportunity at one point. They had an opportunity to go up 38 to 10, just missed it. And then they had an opportunity, a third and long, it's like a third and 18 or whatever it was, had an opportunity to close the door, get a short field. And again, potentially go up 38 to to 10. And again, you go up 18 points in, or you go, I'm sorry, you go up 28 points in the, in the third quarter. 
and the ball game's over. You go up four scores in the third quarter. There's only four drives left. You're not going to lose that game. And, you know, almost certainly going to win it in regulation. So the ball game's over at that point. Instead, they allow yet another third down conversion, third and long conversion. And Boston College is able to go down and score. Then you have a a squib-ish onside kick where your hands team doesn't come up with it. I mean, that was just misplayed by Benson, honestly. So at that point, you're just you're you're just not making the plays in those situations. But at least this time your defense comes out and gets a clutch stop. You know, they that they, they get the ball inside the red zone there. Your defense makes a stop at the eight and or what at the five, that is. They get the opportunity. So, you know, you're down a you you give them an extra extra drive, give it to them in your own red zone and then there there you go you get just you get the stop your defense needs and then what does your offense do you fumble it right into the right into your own end zone on what should be a routine safe play little little uh flat route to the back back doesn't protect the football and that's something that i can tell you is going to drive mike norvell nuts because i don't know another team in the country that spends more time on ball security than florida state I mean, they, that is an absolute point of emphasis. You hear them constantly at practice, you know, ball security, ball security, high and tight, all this stuff. And yet here we go. You get another instance of just, this is, this is not what you want to see, right? So then they get the ball off of that. They score. Now it's, now, now it's game on. Now it's 30 to 22. Now they could potentially beat you. They're in position to potentially do it. So you get the football. What do you do? Five play, 21-yard drive. You really don't run clock. You don't do a whole lot there. You punt the football, and they get the ball, and they race down down the field and score again. So now, now they're in position to potentially win this game, but you're able to, you're able to come out prevent the the, the two-point conversion, and ultimately survive. None of those things, I mean, you start to look at what Florida State did to shoot themselves in the foot. And look, this was a Boston College team. You need to, you need to send them a thank you note for the 18 penalties because they were very, very undisciplined in, in pre-snap, post-snap, and in, you know, some personal foul stuff, you know, grabbing face masks and all of that. There were a couple of key face... I mean, the, the, the game ended on a key face mask penalty. So they shot themselves in the foot over and over again, and you didn't accept the gift until the very end. And instead, what you did is you continued to self-destruct once you got up in that, in that fourth quarter. And it wasn't just in the fourth quarter, but that was where, I mean, you had a chance to double tap them and put them out. And if you just hang on to the football, you just play disciplined. You don't have any problems, but you know, this team's going to have to figure out how to, how to finish just a little bit better in those key, key spots. Now, once again, they've done that pretty well all season, but this one was a bit of a wake up call. And it's kind of probably a good thing in some ways that they had this, right before Clemson in that respect. But this is not what you wanted before Clemson in terms of having to play as many guys as you did. You know, you look at uh, 
at the number of players that actually played in this and and how many how many guys actually played this was very different from last week i mean fabian lovett played a decent amount in this game jared verse was out there a lot you wanted those guys to be a little more rested tatum bethune you know got a little bit banged up there in the fourth quarter you were hoping that maybe he wouldn't even be out there in the fourth quarter but yeah a lot of things, though, to, to discuss in this game. And first and foremost, it's also, you're, you're really grateful that Jordan Travis, as far as we can tell, is, you know, he dodged a bullet. Coming down hard, he came down hard on his elbow in a way that, you know, you're kind of jamming your elbow or your, uh, your shoulder up into the socket there, and you can potentially do a lot of damage. Uh, you know, that's a way to break a uh, fracture, a clavicle way to sprain an AC joint, potentially separate a shoulder, a lot of different things. If I had to guess, it's probably a sprained AC joint and that's painful, but you can play with it. I, I can tell you that you can, because I've done it, but it does hurt. Now it's a good thing. That's his left shoulder, but uh, he did come back in, in the second half. And I, I didn't think Florida state's offense really managed to get in rhythm in the second half. And I wonder how much that was a factor doesn't seem to have been in terms of that but you know i do wonder uh nevertheless you know that so that's number one you're grateful that that you came out without losing your quarterback for for you know extended time or the season most likely so uh so that's good beyond that the first thing that comes to my mind is florida state's going to have to figure out defensively how to handle more mobile quarterbacks because the plan ain't working guys. And up until now we've talked about, well, you know, personnel isn't ideal for handling a, a, a mobile quarterback. Everybody struggles with mobile quarterbacks to some degree, you know, all of that, but the personnel's there. They've got the personnel to handle it. Certainly a guy like Castellanos, who's not, you know, we're not talking about Lamar Jackson out there. And you let him march up and down the field on you. And I say him because Castellanos, 20 of 33 for 305 yards, passer rating of 142.2. And he was their leading rusher, 16 carries for 95 yards, 5.9 yards per carry. Look, you let that guy run up and down the field against you. And the one thing you knew coming into this game is... You got to make sure that he's bottled up. That's the primary thing. And to me, and and I said this, I, I said I what I expected them to do in the in this game, in the preview, and they more or less did that. And that is, they really tried to play to compress the pocket and and not really get after the quarterback as much at different points, but mostly, especially at different points on on long yardage, they they mush rushed a lot. Now, what the mush rush is, is that's where you're essentially slowing your defensive line down. You're telling them, okay, look, don't get upfield too far. You're just trying to stay in your lane a little bit, and, and you're not even really trying to get after the quarterback. You're just going to try to stay here and make sure the quarterback can't run. And you say, well, they're trying to make sure the quarterback can't run. They sure didn't work. That's right. It sure didn't. To me the the approach that they've had, and this is probably the third year I've talked about this on this podcast, the approach that they've had of 
doing more against a, a mo- more mobile quarterback of doing more mush rush with a spy. And they did have a spy on most of this game. Some of you are going, well, how did he get free? Well, the spy has to do a better job and the spy was wrong a lot. In some cases, the spy, you know, kind of took a bad angle and, you know, the quarterback's fast enough to run away from him. In other cases, the spy got a little too close and, and got blocked. In other cases, you know, some other things. So I, I've never been a big fan of doing a lot of spy stuff. I love spy movies. I'm a sucker for a good spy movie. But I, I'm not really big on using spy defenses a whole lot against mobile quarterbacks. To me, that's sort of like giving giving them one more advantage in terms of numbers. And with a mobile quarterback, you are they already have they're already essentially up one in terms of numbers. When you go spy, you're give, you're allowing them to be up two essentially. And this is why I thought what LSU did with Perkins in the first game was not smart. They had Perkins doing a lot of spying on Jordan Travis. And I thought that was just a waste of a great player because essentially you're letting the offense just let him sit there. And then if the quarterback sees a good seam and the, and the spy doesn't take exactly the right angle, it doesn't matter that he's there to begin with. So for my money, if you're going to commit a spy to this sort of thing, then you might as well just green dog him. You might as well have him be an additional plus one rusher where he's got a gap that he's assigned to. Or you ought to, and this is my preference, do a lot of zone blitzing. Do a lot of fire zone. I'm, I'm a big fan of fire zone against more mobile quarterbacks. And especially fire zone from the edge. Uh, I And I, I was texting with uh, with former teammate, former Florida State player, and uh, former also college coach and current high school defensive coordinator, Chad Wheeler, uh, texting with him after the game. And he said, look, you know, you've got to stop doing what they're doing up front. We, he, he and I were completely on the same, on the same page here. I'm gonna go ahead and read his, uh, read his thing. Athletic quarterback, especially one that's a sophomore should have been lots of zone pressure. Bring your safeties and corners. You have elite pass rushers, Zone blitzing puts them on guards. Guys will come free. Balls will get thrown up. Good things will happen. I could not agree more with what Chad said here. If you're in that situation, again, where you've got a, a more mobile quarterback who you're you're trying to let, make him beat, beat you with his arm, make him beat you with his arm and make him beat you under pressure and do so in situations where you're bringing that extra plus one guy from the edge. One of the reasons I like edge pressure pressure against that kind of rusher or against that kind of quarterback, edge pressure forces him one direction. If you're, if you're just mush rushing and doing different things, you're giving him some options to where he might be able to pick, it, pick and choose and get upfield in one direction or another. He might go up the B gap to the right. He, if the, the B gap to the left opens up, he's going there. If the C gap is there, you know, there's options. If you bring, let's say, pressure from the star position, you pressure from you, you do field pressure, which is, you know, one of the one of the traditional Alabama things that Saban likes to do. You bring field pressure from the from the star, and now you're essentially forcing, as long as the star plays that rush correctly with good leverage you are forcing any scramble or any run run action from the quarterback you're forcing that to the to the boundary side so you're now you're you're narrowing you're narrowing it to half the field 
and your defense can kind of set up for that in your fire zone type stuff. So for me, they really need to, to look into shifting their strategy to changing their strategy on what they're going to do when they play more mobile quarterbacks. You cannot take this approach. It's a very, to me, the, the approach they're taking against more mobile guys, it's too passive. And you have a defense with a bunch of guys who are na- more aggressive players. Play into your strengths and force those quarterbacks to make plays into the teeth of your talented defense and to do so under pressure. Whatever you do, don't sap the, the aggressiveness that you play with on defense against any other kind of quarterback against pocket passers. Don't sap that aggressiveness when you play against a, a more mobile guy. That's, that's the first thing that I, I, that's my number one takeaway in this game, even over the, you know, fortunately you got out without a a ton of, a ton of uh, injury problems as far as it appears that, that, to me is a big deal. And they're going to have to, if I'm Mike Norvell, I sit down with my defensive staff and I say, look, from here on out, we're not taking this approach defensively when we play against that kind of quarterback. We can't do it because we're not playing aggressive and we're, you, we're, so we're losing the aggressive edge and we're still allowing those guys to do what we're trying to prevent them from doing by playing a bunch of spy stuff and a bunch of, uh, you know, mush rush and all of that. Emphasize pass rush lanes. Sure. Make sure you're not getting too deep on your pass rush on the edge. Sure. Fine. But play aggressive up front. Get after the, get after guys, play aggressive in the secondary, do your thing and just play winning football. That, that to me is what you've got to do. Now, some other things here. I thought that was the worst on third downs, third and fourth down. They were eight of 19 on third down. What that tells me is that Florida state did a pretty good job on first and second down of getting Boston college to third down. There were 19 third downs Boston college had the problem. And by the way, 10 of those were, were third and long nine plus. So 19 first down or third downs. The problem is that they got conversions on 12 of those 19 third downs. Now, not on the third down necessarily. They got to third down 19 times. They converted eight of those, and then they converted four more for fourth downs. So that's 12 of the times that, that of the 19 times that you forced them to third down, they were able to get a first down, either on third or fourth down. And again, four of 10, 40% on third and long. I had someone text me, uh, Steve Pointer, I think was it was, texted me, you know, it was almost third and Kelly out there. Third down passing, they were five of eight for 101 yards. And it's because the, the coverage was simply too soft. You, they, they allowed Boston College to dictate on third down and, and were content to give up some space rather than playing tight and just playing their, 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 their traditional style of defense. Tighten up and force those guys to beat you. That's my view. So, yeah, but you look at first down first down plays Boston college had too much success on those as well. But here's the main thing. 13, 13 carries on first down for 28 yards, 2.2 yards per carry. Well, that's okay. That that's perfectly fine. 
you, you, they, they stuffed the run well on first down. Now they gave up a, a they gave up a, a couple long plays on first down and beyond that overall decent on first down. They just did not get off the field, giving up a th- third down conversion percentage of forty two point one percent. Boston College averaged twelve point six yards per rush on third down. Six third down conversions. Six of their eight third down conversions were by rush. And that's despite the fact that there were 10 of those third down conversions that were long yardage. So again, that tells me you didn't, you didn't play with the kind of aggressiveness to be able to shut some of that down that you wanted. And I did think by the, by the fourth quarter in the fourth quarter, they did start to come after things with, uh, with some edge pressures and they got a couple sacks late. And, you know, to me, that that that's what closed the game down. But definitely put some things on tape that Clemson's going to like to have seen. So you're going to have a lot to clean up going into into next week, for sure. Defensively, I thought uh, I thought the secondary, this was by far the worst game that they played. I mean, generally speaking, even against LSU, they were they were in tight coverage most of that game. There were some guys that were free here and there, and they they missed some 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 stuff. But in this game, there was there was a lot of downfield passing where guys were just wide open. You know, just run a dig and there's nobody there. You know, you've got the backer up to spy, and there's just a ton of space behind him. Well, if you're gonna do that, you better play with different leverage in the secondary. Anyway, not enough pressure, not enough aggressiveness, I think, just in terms of defense, given the personnel that you have. And yet, you still you still gave up 29 points in regulation, and you should always win with this offense where, you, where, where you're there. Now, one place where I was wrong, I did not think that anyone, aside from maybe Clemson, on the remainder of the schedule was going to keep, was going to hold Florida state under 40 points and Florida state only scored 31 in this game. This was, this was one of those laid in egg games offensively just did not finish drives. You're looking at this, you know, there were nine of there. Uh, there were two of nine on third down 22% on third down 8.1 yards uh, to go on average on third down. And they just were not very good through most of the game and they got forced into too many third downs didn't have the kind of success that that they that they would have wanted on first and second down and just had to make their living they've had to make their living on third and third and fourth down way too much this year and it, it started to bite them a little bit in this game a couple things that they did do they from the first quarter on they they did feed johnny wilson which is exactly what i thought they they ought to do in this game come out and feed Johnny Wilson right away, get him back involved and, and make sure that he uh, maintains some rhythm going into the Clemson game. So that's a good thing. Keon Coleman, by the way, one catch for two yards. He had several opportunities, but Boston College did a great job on him. I mean, it was clear that, that Boston College came into this game essentially with, with two, two, two things that they were selling out to do. They were not going to allow Trey Benson or... Keon Coleman to beat them. That's what they came into this game determined 
to do defensively based on what they did structurally. And I, I got to say, I said this before the game. I love what, what Halfley does as a defensive coordinator. And, and just in terms of the way they coach defense at Boston College, he's really good. And they did a great job. But other thing, just offensively, my reaction to, to this game very much is that Florida State right now really misses Trayshawn Ward. And this is something we talked about in the spring, talked about in the fall, uh, in, in the preview. My, my feeling going into la- coming into this year was there's still a little bit of trepidation because I thought last year in tougher games against defensive fronts that you know started getting giving you a little bit of trouble, Trayshawn Ward was Florida State's best back. Trey Benson is the highlight guy, but the dirty work guy, the guy that that was getting tough yards and was able to find creases and seams against the 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 best fronts was consistently Trayshawn Ward. And he by the way put up some great numbers in a in a close loss, in 61-yard kick at the at the buzzer, uh, you know, when time as time expired for Missouri to beat Kansas State. But Trayshawn Ward looks like Trayshawn Ward for them. He's he's been really good. And right now, Florida State does not have that element in their offense. Benson was okay in this game. 14 carries for 68 yards, averaged 4.9. But that's not quite good enough, especially against a team that you, you really have overmatched. Needs to be better. And he's not he's not finding all the daylight that's there right now. And I really think he's a better complement. I, I mean... I know I know this is going to be unpopular with some folks because Benson, look, Benson's really good. But I think Benson is a is more is better as a complimentary back than as the true lone feature back. I think Benson is is he's a cleanup hitter. Right? He's the guy where you have somebody else get you on base. He's a guy where once the defense is just a little bit a, you know, a little bit gassed or just not quite in their usual spots, just a little bit off their uh, their spots. You give him the ball, and he's going to break some tackles, and all of a sudden he's going to the house. He's a great cleanup hitter. But you've got to have a leadoff hitter. And I don't think that's Lawrence Toafili. Seven carries, 24 yards, 3.4 yards per carry. I've never been sold on Toafili as a, as a, a second back, as a true running back, really. I think he's more of a gadget player. You, you get him on the field. He's a, he's a traditional third down back slash slot receiver to me. And you can use him in those ways. Get the ball in his hands. And, you know, Toafili had a, a, a one really nice 19-yard uh, pass catch where if it's just a little bit different throw, he might be able to take that even further. You know, he's great on the rail routes, on the wheel routes type of stuff. Really good player. But... I don't think he needs to be your number two back. I don't think that's the guy that should be rotating as the number two back behind Benson. Honestly, I think right now the best true backs that you have on this, on this team to be a complimentary piece with Benson as running backs, as getting, you know, regular carries in the backfield are Rodney Hill. And honestly, I think Kaziah Holmes is a more natural true running back than Toa Feely. I think CJ Campbell is a more natural, true running back than Toa Feely in terms of a guy who's going to get the tough yardage between the tackles, taking on the Trayshawn Ward role from last year. 
I don't think that's a role that Toafili is is especially well suited to handle. I think Toafili needs to be in Toafili's role from last year. Leave him in that role. And I think one of the things that this offense is missing right now is that complementary piece getting enough carries to help be sort of the lightning to Trey Benson's thunder. And I think they need to decide that that's probably going to be Rodney Hill. He needs to get some more carries and some more opportunities. He again, looked good when he was in there, had a couple that, you know, opportunities that one very nearly hit, but played well. And I think he, I think he needs to be that guy to potentially get a little bit more, uh, more of the tough yardage between the tackles when Benson's not quite getting it free when Benson's not seeing all the real estate that's there. So I think that's something you need to consider. So, yeah, wow. Uh, I've gotten a, a variety of questions, and uh, I think uh, I think it might be time to turn over and, and do some of those before I move on. Um, one is, uh, is from Big Mel. Do you think it's time for Fuller to move upstairs to get a bird's eye view of the defense? <sighs> It's a good question. I don't think so because defensive coordinator is a is a different it's a different thing altogether. And I think Fuller really is more of a on field type guy. A lot of that's personal. But here's the thing: if you're not up in the box, you'd better have some great guys who do great work charting and great work making sure that they are your eyes in the box so that you know what's going on for, on the sideline. That's what the phones are for. And I, I'm not a hundred percent sure that they're getting the best bird's eye stuff right now. I don't know. So that is a worthwhile thing to, to ask It's something to, to, you know, call into question and they need to, after something like today, you do need to reevaluate all your processes and, and everything. Now I, I will say, and this needs to be stated before we go any further, you got to remember that week three is a kind of traditional trap week or traditional difficult week for a lot of teams. And, you know, Georgia was down 14 to three at the half against a South Carolina team that I don't think is all that good. Against the South Carolina team, I'll put it this way, against the South Carolina team that North Carolina manhandled. And that 24 to 14 or what was it? 24 to 14, I think, win over South Carolina. Georgia had to fight and claw for that. So, you know, one of those things that sometimes you're going to get this kind of game. I mean, I mean, the 2013 Florida State team punted things around and kicked, kicked, kicked things around quite a bit up in Boston in that season and had to, you know, come back for what ended up being a convincing win. But they were down 17 to three in that game. Shoot, the 2001 Miami team very nearly lost to Boston College and should have lost to Boston College on the road. Uh, Ed Reed had that, you know, ridiculous play at the end where he he scored and, and put Miami ahead. And, and ultimately, Miami probably shouldn't have won that game. But, you know, Ed Reed is Ed Reed. And that's why you win those games. Alabama was, when I started, when, when I sat down to record this podcast, Alabama was 3-3 three to three at home against USF. Well, I mean, sometimes you don't have your best stuff. Sometimes you got to win with without one of your, you just cannot locate your fastball and you got to win on your curve and on your slider or your off-speed stuff. 
Sometimes you got to do that. That's college football or in baseball also. But that's, I think that was, this was one of those games for Florida State. And the key is the really good teams, the teams that actually have a chance to win championships, they win those games instead of getting knocked off in those games. This is a game Florida State would have lost last year. It's a game Florida State would have lost the last eight years. So the good news is that Florida State actually handled business and got out of there with a win. The good news is that when the offense went out there and laid a turd, instead of scoring 17 points or 16 points, they scored 31. They scored 31 looking bad. That's a good sign. That's what happens when you're a really good team. That's what happens when you're a true championship contender. So the, the positive to bring out of this is, well, you know, you didn't, you're not going to play much worse than that, I don't think. And you still scored 31 points on the road against a team that was that came out well-prepared. It's a well-coached team. Now, they gave you 18 penalties to help you, so I'm, you know, maybe they're not as well-coached as what I was just saying. But in general, you, you're grateful about that. Now, another question I got was, um, <laughs> this, is, this is interesting. So I, I got, I, actually, I'm going try to ki- try to combine a couple questions here. Um, so got this. What's the most concerning part for you? Uh, from a coaching standpoint, it seems like we're getting too cute on both sides of the ball, getting a little out over our skis instead of going with what works or the hot hand. Never understood why we didn't see Rodney Hill the rest of the game. It feels like he was the only one finishing runs. It just seems something just seems off with this team. Maybe the chemistry isn't there like it should be. So I think that's really perceptive. I don't think it's a chemistry issue. I think the I think this team really likes each other. I think there's a lot of chemistry here. But I do think that that on both sides of the ball, there's been a little bit of trying to be too cute. And I talked about some of it on the defensive side already. So I want to focus on the offensive side. The thing that I think is happening on the offensive side, and, and I'm only going to address this just briefly on the... Uh, on this podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this, I think on the next, on the next episode, but just briefly, I think they're trying to spread the ball around too much. So what I mean by that is, you know, I think they, they know there's a lot of mouths to feed on this offense. And I know that they, you know, it seems at times where it's like, okay, well, we haven't let Jaheem touch it in a while. We got to get it to, to Jaheem. Okay. Now it's no, now it's to Feely's time. He's got to, got to make sure we get him the ball. And okay, well now it's time to, you know, get, get, give it, give it to this guy in a reverse. Cause he hasn't touched it yet. I think there's a lot of that right now. And I understand it. And I talked about it in the off season, that that's one of the things that they do such a good job of as a staff is really getting and spreading the ball around and keeping more guys happy. But I do think at a certain point, and this is especially true. And, and it was less true against LSU that they did this. I mean, I think they did this more, the last couple of weeks, it was my impression. But I think once you're playing teams that can beat you or in, you're in situations where you could get beat, this team needs to be a little better at, so at what they want their bread and butter to be. And they need to identify what that is also. I don't think this, this offense has a true like go-to identity just yet. I think they're a pick your poison kind of thing, but they need to be able to hang their hat on a couple things. And they're, they've not quite gotten through on any of it yet. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact that they've not been able to really get their favorite play, which is counter 
off the ground yet. Teams have loaded up against counter and they're defending counter hardcore. They know coming into the game, we need to, we need to handle counter. And, you know, I think, first of all, I don't think Benson is especially good as a true counter running back. I think he's actually a little bit more comfortable running, running zone. I think he's more, most comfortable running zone stretch actually. Now he's not the best cutback guy in that situation, but I do think he sees things a little easier there. Uh, and he's a natural guy to bounce, bounce the ball. So, you know, I think one of the things that I, I did see in this game is I thought we saw more zone and I need to go back and take a look at it, but I thought we saw more zone in the, in the first half, especially in the running game. And I think they need to, they may need to be more of a zone team this year. It's possible. I know they want to run a lot of counter. I know they want to run some power. I know they, that gap blocking has been their thing, but I mean, Mike Norvell, if you go back to, uh, to Memphis, they ran a lot of inside zone and they were really a good inside zone team. So I do wonder whether or not they need to, they need to really locate and find the, the other complementary run play that they're going to be able to hang their hat on and, and, and let that be a part, a big part of their identity and feed the backs that are going to hit that, that are going to handle that play really well. And if it's going to be Benson, that's going to be getting by far the bulk of your carries, maybe counter's not the way to go every time. Maybe counter is not your, your core with Benson on the field. I don't know, but that's something to think about. I do think that there is a certain amount of, they need to, they need to be sure that they identify, okay, when in doubt, these are the you know three or four things that we're going to do, and we're going to do them really well. So far, that ha- there hasn't been a bunch of that. And I think that's something that they need to figure out this week going into Clemson. Okay, crowd's really loud, third and three. What is our go-to? We know, we know when we run this, we're going to get three yards. First and 10, what three plays do we know we can run eight times? And we know we're going to execute them well enough. I just think right now they're not quite hitting on all cylinders and they haven't all season on that. And that's despite scoring 66, the first game and scoring 45 against LSU. They did that without hitting on all cylinders. So, you know, that, and that's the thing is they scored 31 here. And this was, this was a C minus performance. Florida state played their C minus game in this and still won. Again, that's the positive. The negative is you played well below your, your, level your expected level of play three games in a row again the positive is you've got a win over a legit top 10 team you bludgeoned another team and then you you know managed to get a conference road win in those three games where you played below your your expected level so that's good big week coming up i'm gonna go ahead and wrap there because there's a lot more we can talk about coming into the uh into the week as once i've taken a closer look at some things but yeah i mean that's those are my initial thoughts and I may, after taking a closer look at some things, change my mind on a couple things. But that's where I'm at immediately after the game. And yeah, we'll wrap there. Uh, as always, thankful to all of you for listening. Go to the Unconquered shop, grab some stickers, do all sorts of different things. Download Stephanie Staples' streams album. Give it a listen. Let me know what you think of it, by the way. I, I think it's pretty good stuff, but uh, yeah, good stuff. Anyway, this has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm Doc Staples. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank my advertising partners, EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate 
at shenrealestate.com and the Research Triangle of North Carolina, garage makeovers in South Florida. And then, of course, if you have not stopped by the Unconquered Podcast shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, you can buy stickers and all sorts of other gear. Go ahead and do that. Always helps support the podcast. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Dave Blair, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Post us on social media and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.